Our scripture reading this morning is from Genesis 1, 26 through 31. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth... And to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray together before we listen to God's word together. Father, please speak to us now. Please speak to us clearly through your word and fill us with your Holy Spirit and enable us to receive your word and be transformed by it. And please help me to serve well and to not be in the way or a distraction from it. Father, we look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Genesis 1 verse 26 will be our primary focus this morning. My aim today uh, is pretty simple. It's kind of twofold. Um, From this passage, this uh, foundational passage for how we understand life and reality and God and ourselves, I just want to remind you of your humanity and encourage you to rest in God's divinity. That's sort of my twofold aim this morning. To remind you that our human limitations are not only okay, but that they're actually good and part of how God has designed us to be and part of how God has arranged everything so that we would rely on him and trust in him. So let's look again at Genesis 1, 26, just the first part. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's just two aspects of being human I want to remind you of. Um, This is really foundational stuff here. The first one is simply that being human means depending on God. Central to being a human being is depending on God. The beginning of human history, we're reading it right here. The very first lines in the human story are, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Our story begins with God and our story is primarily about God. He creates us and he sustains us. The Bible doesn't only teach that he created you. It teaches that he sustains you. The fact that you're here now and have what you need to be alive now is because God is actively, presently sustaining you. So I want you to consider some attributes of God and how we can and should depend on him. 
First, consider the fact that God is self-existent and self-sufficient, and we are not. God is self-existent and self-sufficient, and we are not. I found this quote from a theologian about this. He said, God has never had in eternity past, nor can ever have in the ages to come, a single need for which his own divine nature has not already provided. No needs. Now think about yourself on the other hand. Think about everything you require that you need just to survive life for a week. If you didn't have oxygen, or if you didn't have sleep, or if you didn't have food, or if you didn't have water, you couldn't make it. That's because we are, as humans, inherently needy. God built that into us. Neediness, so that he could provide for us, so that we could depend on him. Consider that he is omnipresent, which means present everywhere. He is omnipresent, and we are not. Wouldn't it be great if we could be in more than one place at one time? If you could be here, hearing God's word preached, and also at home in your recliner with a bag of potato chips? And outside mowing your lawn? And at work getting ahead? Does anybody remember the movie Multiplicity? This is the time during the sermon where I refer to old movies from the 90s that nobody has seen but me. In that movie, the main character, it finds a way to clone himself. And so he makes one copy and then realizes how great that is to have two of them so he can be in two places at once. Then he makes a third copy and then a fourth. And each copy gets a little bit less good. And hilarity ensues, and it's a, it's a pretty good movie. Although I don't endorse it because I, my fear is I've forgotten bad content that was in it because I haven't seen it in so long. And then you'll go watch it, and then you'll judge me because I've mentioned it. <laughs> we are inherently needy, and we are inherently local. You can only be one place at one time, period. So right now, you are here. And therefore, you are not there. God, on the other hand, here's another quote from another theologian. They're smarter than me, so I have to quote them. God, in the totality of his essence, without diffusion or expansion, multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all its parts. Now, that's hard to take in audibly, but... Basically, that means he is absolutely here, permeating all of the presence that we're in right now. And at the same time, he is in Syria, on every street, in every house. And at the same time, he's in the interior of your refrigerator and in all the expanses of outer space. Everywhere that is, he is. In his fullness. Now that's something we can't fully comprehend, but contrast yourself with that. How extremely limited you are in your locality versus God's omnipresence. We're built to depend on him. Consider that he is omnipotent, all powerful, and we are not. Have any of you bumped up against your lack of omnipotence this week? something you couldn't solve, something you couldn't do, 
something you couldn't bring about. Inherent in humanity are weaknesses and needs. But God has none of that. God needs no help. God needs no advice. God needs no teachers. God doesn't have to consult YouTube for every little thing. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and we are not. And he designed it that way, on purpose, for a purpose. Consider that he is omniscient, all-knowing, and we are not. My last quote for you, another theologian. God knows instantly with a perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than the other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures, all plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God knows it all perfectly and effortlessly. One half hour of helping my fourth grader study for his history reveals to me how limited my knowledge and my ability to know and remember is. God is omniscient, and we are not, and he designed it that way, on purpose, for a purpose, because we are built to depend on him. Humans are built to depend on God. The other thing I'd like to point out about humanity Number one, we are built to depend on him. And number two, we are built to do his will. There in this little bit of verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's two pieces of this, his image and his likeness. And I'd really like to mainly focus on his image for right now. Um, It's not immediately clear what that means to uh, to us reading our English translations. I think it would have been immediately clear to um, you know, Hebrew reading, speaking people of the culture, of ancient Jewish culture. But that word image is actually a word that later becomes used for idols, for idolatry. And it's the idea of representing a, a transcendent, invisible God. So I have a visual aid for you. I've been told visual aids help people to track with me. So imagine that, that we worship a duck god that is invisible and powerful over all things ducklinesque. And so we build an idol 
Now, we don't actually believe that this is our duck god, but this is his representation here, physical representation. So we bow to the idol. We bow to the representative of our duck god. That's how the word idol was used back in these cultures. It meant a physical representation of an invisible god, lowercase g god. Now, of course, we don't believe in idolatry. We believe in one true god that we worship. But the, the first time that word's used in the Bible, it's actually in reference to us. And so the idea is we are God's image bearers on earth. We are his representatives on earth. We are his physical tokens on earth to do his will. That might be more confusing than helpful. But the idea is that we are here as his representatives to do his will. Not our will, his will. Now, it's not immediately clear in this passage all that that contains. In this passage, the assignment is cultivate creation, uh, bring about you know, the maximum potential of God's raw materials of creation. And then throughout the rest of the Bible, we get a fuller picture of what it looks like to be God's people, God's representatives on earth. But the idea I want you to consider right now is that you, just by virtue, virtue of being a human— have inherent value and purpose. Just by being human, you have inherent dignity and value and purpose because you are made in God's image. You were made on purpose, for purpose, to be here as his representative, to do his will in his world. Now, this means that so far in our knowledge of humanity, just this little bit of a verse, we see that The highest expressions of humanity are depending on God and doing his will. Depending on God and doing his will. These are central to what it means to be a human being. Now, if I were to ask you, who is the greatest human being that ever lived? You don't have to shout it out loud, but I'm just curious what names would first pop up. Or if I were to ask you, who's the greatest human being that you know or have known? Curious who comes to mind and what criteria do you use to evaluate human greatness? In God's eyes, it's those who depend on him and do his will. Which isn't necessarily those who accomplish the most in worldly success or become the richest. It's those who depend on him and do his will. Because that's what he designed humans to do. A life lived in humble dependence upon him and allegiance to him. It's both childlike and restful because of depending on him and engaging because we're doing his will. We can rest and we can work. There's always good work to be done. Now, this is all well and good, but as you know, if you've been in church and know the story of humanity, something bad happens and messes all this up. The fall in Genesis chapter 3. And we'll read... Just the first five verses of Genesis chapter 3. This is where it all goes wrong. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now there's a lot to this, a lot of explanation is needed about these trees and this garden. But the main thing for our purposes this morning, I'd like for you to notice, is that at the core of Satan's initial temptation, when we first meet him, is the temptation to be like God. Now, we just read that we are like God in a sense. God made us in his likeness. But Satan says, well, you can be like God in a new and better way than you're experiencing right now. That is at the core of his initial temptation, and it's in the DNA of all of his temptations thereafter. You can be like God. You can be independent. You can be autonomous. You can make your own decisions. You can decide what's best for you. Satan tempts us to depend on ourselves and do our own will, to be like God in a way that is sinful, to pretend to be self-sufficient, act like we don't need God. We don't need prayer. We don't need the Bible. We don't need fellowship in the church. We don't need his guidance and direction. Maybe I'll go to church every once in a while on a Sunday, but I don't need, I don't need this. He tempts us to pretend that we can be omnipresent, to act like we have no geographic limitations whatsoever. Yeah, I can be at home and at work at the same time. I can be with you and texting my friend across town at the same time. I can be on the road driving and with you on your vacation through Facebook at the same time. Tempts us to be omnipotent, act like we can do it all. Say yes to every opportunity. I can work hard, I can do every sport, I can pursue every hobby, I can go to every concert, I can be a part of everything. No limitations. To pretend we can be omniscient and act like we can handle just infinite information and knowledge. You know, we have an unprecedented amount of information pouring into our heads every day, every week, every month. News, trivia about our friends and people that we don't even really know. Internet memes, all just flowing through our screens at us. I read as I was studying for this sermon that on Twitter, in a two-year period, there will be more words written than in all the books ever printed. That's the rate at which we are pumping out information, knowledge, teaching, words. The results of all this, pretending that we don't need to depend on God and do his will, is not that we're becoming superhuman, we're becoming subhuman, and our lives are imploding and falling apart. We're isolated from God, and we're isolated from one another, we're deprived of sleep, we're burned out, mentally and emotionally fragmented, suffering from relational anemia, broken families, and God and the church and these important things that take up time are pushed to the extreme margins of our lives. Unable to focus on what's important. So we'll take a little quiz to see if this rings true. You can, if you're writing notes, you can write it, or if you just want to think about it. What are the most important two, three things in life for you? What are your most important two or three things? 
could be endeavors in your life, relationships in your life. Just the very most important couple of things. You have that in one column. And then think about what do you spend most of your energy and time on through the week? And do they align? Because the pressures in this world, driven by Satan, the prince and ruler of this world, will forever be suppressing the important things that take time, depending on God and doing his will first and foremost, and forever be elevating independence and doing our own will. So the question I want to leave you with, what if you walked out here determined to focus on depending on God and doing his will? And made those your, your life mission statement, depending on God and doing his will. What if you walked out of here dead serious about living that way? What would change? What would change in your life? What would change in your day today? What would change about tomorrow? What would change about next week and next month and next year and the rest of your life? What burdens would fall away? What good work would you engage in? What endeavors would you just stop doing because God never asked you to do them in the first place? What information streams would you just shut the valve on so you could have time for God's word and prayer? How much stress would be eliminated if we just asked God, what do you want me to do? And I've told you this story before. Years ago, several of us went to Minnesota to a children's ministry conference, and there were several big-name speakers there, people whose books I had read and sermons I had listened to. And I decided if I, by some stroke of, of uh, I was going to say luck, but we don't believe in luck, but if God would allow me to have a chance to speak with some of these people, I want to make sure I maximize that opportunity. So I, I wrote out what question would I ask, if I could just ask one question. And this was when I was only one or two or three years into being a pastor, and, um, and that meant that uh, my little girl was only a couple years old, and Elias was very young. And so I decided I would ask them just generally, what advice would you give a new family man and that's also a new pastor? And what advice would you give to someone who's a new father and a new pastor? And I actually did have a chance to ask all of them that question. One of them I kind of froze because I was a little intimidated. And instead, I just sort of sat there like an idiot. And then the other one I didn't get a chance to talk to at the conference. He was the only one I didn't get to talk to. And then when we were in the airport, I saw him. His name is Paul David Tripp. And he's got this huge mustache. You can't miss him. And I saw him. He was like coming out of a shop or something. He was on his way to, you know, he's just walking. And I said to my group, okay, hang on, I'm going to go see if I can catch him. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they love when people do this. And so I chased him down, and I stopped him, and I asked him my question. Um, I said, you know, thank you for your message at the conference, and I just have a question for you. What advice would you give to a new family man who's also a new pastor? And he didn't even really hesitate, and he said, God will never give you conflicting callings on your life. You being a family man and you being a pastor will never conflict 
if God's called you to do those two things. And he said, most of the trouble I see with young men who have young families and are new pastors is just because they're trying to do too much, too fast. And they're trying to do things the Lord never asked them to do. So basically his advice was, just settle down a little bit. Underneath it is just depend on God and do his will and you'll be okay. I want to close where I'm going to begin next week. Some bad news and good news. Bad news is uh, we are completely incapable of doing this. We are so messed up and malfunctioning because of sin that we cannot in of ourselves make ourselves depend on God and do his will. We're just too compromised. We're born this way. We've, our DNA has the same malfunctioning gene where we just fight to depend on ourselves and do our own will. But the good news is that God has acted to save us from our predicament of trying to be like him. And he did it by becoming like us. Let me read to you Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And this will be our closing thought for this sermon, our opening thought for next week. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. The Apostle Paul wrote, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. One way to look at the human problem is that we are perpetually trying to be like God. And one way to look at the ultimate solution, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God became like us in order to save us. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, we can be free to be fully human like we were meant to be. We can be freed from our self-imposed independence to depend on God again. We can be freed from slavery to our own will to do his will like we were meant to. Will you bow with me? Father, please reveal to us the ways in which we are grasping sinfully to be independent and autonomous. Lord, please forgive us for our sins here through Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son for us. Thank you that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and became born in the likeness of men. Lord, help us to trust and follow him and be free. Please, in the name of Jesus Christ, free us to depend on you and to do your will. Amen.